Our sermon passage this morning is Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. You can find it on page 737 of the Pew Bible. And for the sake of context, I'll begin at the very beginning of the book of Daniel, but the sermon will be on verses 8 through 21. This is the reading of God's holy word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the who are of your own age, so you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the, their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, starting from their youth onward, every day, Daniel and his friends had to stand up for their God in a culture that pushed them to forget him. As soon as they were matriculated into King Nebuchadnezzar's vocational school, they were trained to be good Babylonians. They received new names to honor Babylonian gods. The Chaldean literature that they learned included instruction in the arts of fortune-telling. And the sword was always dangling over their necks if they stepped out of line. You see this dynamic play out in later episodes of the book of Daniel, where the three friends are thrown into a furnace, Daniel into a den of lions, and all of them together sometimes have the sword of the king hanging over their necks. Among these temptations, these four friends of the tribe of Judah were given the king's food to eat. Where would you place dietary concerns on the list of trials that we've just looked over? I'm guessing that it would rank as the least of the concerns on this list. As for me myself, I prefer to face my troubles on a full stomach. And yet, in this situation, Daniel sees something different. By the wisdom that God has given him, Daniel perceives something in this matter of food that does not appear on the surface of the text. For the king's food is different from a quarter pounder with cheese at McDonald's. The king's food sends a message. The king's food is not just there to fill their bellies. The king's food comes from the king. And the king's food is there to remind these four friends who it is who sustains them and who it is who has the power to cut them off from their supply. And so it's no wonder that Daniel and his friends make a meal out of this issue. And it is often this way with you and me today. There are times when a matter may seem small, and yet God shows us that there are indeed times to take a stand over small matters. And whether we take a stand over something small or something large, God promises endurance. Now, although it worked out for these four friends in terms of earthly success, God does not always promise earthly success, but he always promises endurance. He promises the strength to endure in his ways. And so God grants endurance to those who dedicate themselves to walk in his ways. 
And above all, as we shall see, God granted endurance to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who perfectly walked in all of God's ways. And in this particular text from Daniel chapter 1, we'll make two observations as we explore this theme of endurance. First, that Daniel endures out of a heart's desire to please God. And second, that Daniel endures not by his own power, but by the power of God. So first, let's take a look at Daniel's heart. We think of Daniel as a wise man. We think of Daniel as a courageous man. But as you get to this point in the story of Daniel, neither of those character attributes have yet appeared. Daniel shows up in Babylon as a nobody. But Daniel has two things going for him. First, he has a desire to remain holy. And second, we see a desire to give all glory to God. So first, Daniel desires to remain holy. We see in verse 8 that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel had a strong desire to resist the pressure of his new society and to remain holy before God. Now, there is some debate among interpreters as to why exactly Daniel takes this stand over the matter of food. Some suggest that Daniel wants to avoid the meat and wine because they may have been sacrificed to the Babylonian gods. But this doesn't make a lot of sense because vegetables could be offered to the gods just as well as meat and wine. Another possibility is that he aims to keep the dietary laws of Israel. But there are a couple of points against this. First, of course, wine was not prohibited by the dietary laws of Israel. It was perfectly acceptable to drink wine. And second, Hosea chapter 9 verse 3 warns the exiles that they will eat unclean food in their exile. Daniel knows, or he should know, what God has ordained for Israel's discipline in exile. And so it may be that Daniel takes some inspiration from the kosher rules, but Daniel is reflecting on something deeper because the kosher rules cannot explain everything that Daniel is doing here. Well, put yourself in Daniel's shoes. He lived the life of an aristocrat in Jerusalem, but he was taken away in chains to Babylon. He was a young man who showed promise in his homeland, and yet here he was, unlearning or being expected to unlearn everything he knew from home and to undergo re-education at Nebuchadnezzar University. Well, if you were taken away from everything that you know, if you were taken away to a hostile place 
If you were left mostly alone with only a few believing friends to stand with you, don't you think it might be hard to keep your chin up? Don't you think it would be easy to go with the flow and to keep a quiet presence? And yet, that is not Daniel's chief concern. Daniel's chief concern is to be holy, not to be defiled. And to be holy is to be set apart for God's purposes. So Daniel is choosing to eat vegetables to prove that God, not King Nebuchadnezzar, God is the one who looks after him. Now here's why. You see that the healthy appearance of the young man is a recurring concern in this passage. Now a healthy appearance in those days does not come in being a chiseled bodybuilder like you might think about today. Today, many of us live a sedentary lifestyle. Calories are so plentiful and cheap that it's actually the more expensive foods that provide less energy. It was not so back then. It was hard work to produce food. The common people would till the, foods, the fields by hand. Maybe if they had the means, they would have an oxen or two. But the wheat still had to be harvested by hand. And to separate the kernels from the straw, you had to beat it against the ground. Or if there was a stiff breeze, you could toss it all up in the air. But no matter how you slice it, producing food was hard work. And so the king wants his officials to be healthily plump. He wants them to have a dad bod. A guy like me would fit right in, huh? And so out of this desire, a rich diet is the king's fare for his officials. Having a chunky entourage shows the world that the king is great because he is able to provide for his officials without making them work for it. And so what better way for Daniel to show that God cares for him than to reject the king's food and trust God to produce the desired results. And so when Daniel refuses the king's bounty and asks for vegetables, he's saying that he doesn't need the king to provide for him. Daniel trusts that God provides for him and gives him strength. Daniel fears God. And in this we see a striking contrast to the chief eunuch, who says what in verse 10? That he fears the king. He does not believe that Daniel and his friends can grow fit and healthy in appearance without the king's food. The chief fears the king, and so he refuses to honor Daniel's request in this matter. And yet, in the end, Daniel is right and the chief is wrong. For Daniel and his friends end up better looking than everybody else. 
Daniel put it in his heart not to defile himself. He put it in his heart to be set apart as holy for God. <clears throat> and this is the kind of thing that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. God has set Daniel and his friends apart for service to himself. And so God causes Daniel to endure in his service. And so already in what we've seen so far, we've seen that Daniel desires to give glory to God. But God is also glorified in the way that Daniel goes about this task, goes about his request. For notice that Daniel doesn't draw attention to himself. He doesn't make a pest of himself. He doesn't go on a hunger strike. He doesn't go over the chief eunuch's head to appeal to the king. When he hears the chief eunuch's concern for his appearance, in fact, he goes to somebody lower on the totem pole. He goes to the steward. He goes to the servant who would have brought the food in to Daniel and his friends. Daniel simply asks to be put to the test and to see whether a diet of vegetables would produce the desired outcome. For Daniel wants attention to be drawn to God, not to himself. And here I think we see real wisdom. If he'd made a lot of noise about this request, the attention would be on Daniel. It might even reflect poorly on the Lord in the eyes of his Babylonian captors. Those Israelites always making trouble. And so Daniel seeks to achieve this goal in the way that draws the least attention to himself. And it will often be this way with your obedience. Sometimes you may have an opportunity to obey God publicly. And yet, Jesus teaches us not to seek attention from our fellow man. Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. This is the principle of obedience. Obey God simply out of a heartfelt desire to love him. And he will make sure that the right people see his glory through your conduct. Jesus teaches us to pray to God, hallowed be your name. When Martin Luther interpreted this petition, he said that, well, God's name is applied to every one of his people. And yet our conduct does not always show that God is holy. And so when, when you pray, hallowed be your name, you're asking God to give you an obedience that shows his holiness. It defeats the purpose to draw attention to your own holiness. So leave it to God to glorify himself through you.
Now, this is a pattern that recurs throughout Scripture. Joseph is an obvious parallel. His brothers sold him as a slave to Egypt. But even in his slavery, he kept his conduct honorable to God. God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. But he did not draw attention to himself. For it was God who provided him the opportunity to deliver himself and his brothers from the famine. And Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this theme. You see a a recurring motif in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus performs some miracle and then does what? Commands the beneficiary not to make him known. The reason? Those miracles pointed to his identity as the Messiah. But his ministry could not be understood until he had gone to the cross, until God revealed his glory through the death and resurrection of his son. And indeed, this death and resurrection was Jesus' purpose in everything. And his obedience to the Father, his zeal for the Father's glory, motivated him through his whole life. Jesus proved his obedience to the Father during his temptations in the wilderness. He endured in obedience to the Father all the way through to the cross. As it says in Hebrews 5, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the eternal source of salvation for all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus' life was characterized by holiness from soup to nuts, and God was glorified in his death and resurrection. This death and resurrection leads to salvation to you who obey his gospel by putting your trust in him. And if you believe... The Holy Spirit unites you to Jesus in his death, resurrection, and his obedience. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You cannot endure in your own strength, but as God empowers you to walk in newness of life, consider what it means to be holy before God. When Daniel proposed his trial run to the steward, he had no promise from God that it would turn out okay. Now, Daniel seems to have confidence that it will turn out, but even he must know that it's not certain, not from our human perspective. But Daniel cares more about obeying God 
than he does about knowing exactly what will happen. He obeys God and leaves the rest up to him. So this passage in Daniel is not meant to teach you that everything's always going to turn out just so. But it does teach you this, that as you keep yourself holy to God, God will give you endurance to the end to remain faithful to him. As we see, as we move on into this next section, knowing that you cannot do this in your own strength. For faithful living and the endurance that comes from it are empowered by God. For on the surface, this is a story about food that you eat and digest and that gives you strength. But what Daniel needed was spiritual nourishment. And God gets all the credit for making Daniel spiritually strong so that he could live faithfully. And two times in this passage, we see an indication that God is the one at work making things happen. Now, first, we read in verse 9 that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief could have simply denied Daniel's request. And while he didn't grant the request, he at least did Daniel the favor of telling him what was on his mind. And Daniel saw his opportunity an opportunity to obey God and also to address the problem on the chief's heart. For as he goes to the steward, he takes the chief eunuch out of the equation. If the experiment fails, the chief eunuch has plausible deniability. And so Daniel is alert to an opportunity that God has made for him. By not telling Daniel no, God gives wisdom to Daniel so that he can address the concerns of the chief steward and yet remain holy to God. And so Daniel was alert to the opportunity that God made for him, and Daniel seized it. And second, we read in verse 20 that these four friends were given wisdom far superior to any other official in the kingdom. And so this is not just an announcement that they made the dean's list. It shows us that they remained faithful to the Lord. For what is true wisdom? Well, we read in Psalm 110 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is primarily a moral category. Wisdom is having the savvy, the know-how, how to walk righteously before God in the situations life throws at you. And this wisdom is a gift to God. Faithful living is a gift from God. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, 
and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And so when you look at wisdom in terms of its moral character, you see that God's wisdom is not just more wise than the world. It's not as though you would have an IQ of 110 without God, but now you have 125. No. God's wisdom is a different kind of wisdom entirely. And so it's no wonder that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in all of Babylon. For God has given them true wisdom. He hasn't just made them good bean counters or accountants. He has equipped them to live faithfully before God. But we start here where this gift of wisdom has given Daniel the ability to see the opportunity to honor God in eating vegetables. The gift of God, this same gift of wisdom, sees them through fire, through the lion's den, through a death sentence that comes due to the king's dream. This is the gift of God that gives Daniel endurance for 70 years and service to five kings, as we see in verse 21. The gift of wisdom from God that gives Daniel the desire to remain holy to him. And through all of this, God glorifies himself as these four friends are promoted to the top positions in the kingdom. For everybody would have observed that the best men in the kingdom are God's people, are Israelites, not Babylonians. Well, Jesus tells his disciples to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But how will you get this wisdom? Well, as we said, you get it from God. And so you can ask God to make you wise. Ask him to show you how obedience is put into practice. Search the scriptures and see what God would have you do. And look to Jesus for his perfect obedience. Jesus is the one who perfectly obeyed God through every trial on your behalf. And so he is more than an example for you although he is that, he is the one in whom you find all of your obedience. He is the one in whom you endure everything. For Jesus even endured his own death on the cross. Jesus lives. And Jesus doesn't just live as a resuscitated person destined to die again. No, he lives in the life of the new creation. He lives now in the life that he will give every one of you who believe when he returns to unite heaven and earth 
and to finally bring the kingdom of God to this world. So this is the contrast between Daniel and the Babylonians. For where the chief eunuch fears the king, Daniel fears God. And this is true wisdom. And so at the beginning of his service, Daniel decides that above all, he will serve God. And that commitment guides him through his entire life, serving foreign kings in exile. Again, we read in verse 21 that Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel, the man who was frequently in danger. Daniel, the man who faced daily pressure to become like his captors. Daniel, whose career rose under Nebuchadnezzar and fell under King Belshazzar. Daniel outlives four kings. And he even outlives one great empire. For he outlives Nebuchadnezzar. He outlives Nabonidus. He outlives Belshazzar. Then he lives to see Cyrus conquer the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And then he outlives the conqueror himself. He outlives Cyrus too. And this is why already at the beginning of this story, the end of Daniel's tale is given to us to show that the pattern established in chapter 1 is how the rest of his career unfolded. Daniel stared down the Babylonian empire with its bureaucracy and its military might. But he stared them down with the wisdom and power of God and the desire to show God's glory. And the Babylonian empire blinked first. Well, the Babylonian Empire blinked first because they weren't up against Daniel. They were up against God. What about you? You face a similar challenge to Daniel's. Probably not as large in scale, but the same kind of challenge. For all of God's people stand toe-to-toe with the world and its ruler, that's why it's so important to know that Christ, above all, Christ endures. It says in Hebrews 2 that he partook of flesh and blood, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus did all of this through faithfulness to God, with confidence that he would be vindicated and given the victory. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly, and he conquered death. And when you put your trust in him, the benefits of this conquest are given to you. You will be given endurance to the end. In union with Christ, you endure. The Apostle Paul writes, I am confident in this, that you that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Well, in these few verses in Daniel, we read that God gave Daniel a heart to please God and to keep himself holy. And through the gift of obedience, 
God also causes Daniel to endure in faithfulness. And even while God's people are in exile, he causes his own name to be glorified. And so when God's servant Daniel outlives several kings and one of the great empires of history, God shows that he alone is in control of all kingdoms. But Jesus does even better, for he outlives them all. Jesus himself obeyed the Father and gave him the glory. And now all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. And so God, by his Holy Spirit, unites you to Christ so that his death and resurrection are yours as well. He has made you alive. He gives you a new heart. He writes his law on it. And he has given you the gift of walking in obedience and faithfulness to him. So you must rely on him. You must seek his wisdom to obey him. You must seek for him to glorify himself in you. And no matter what opposition comes your way, no matter whether things turn out all right in this life or not, in union with Christ, he will make sure that you endure to the end of this world to arrive safely in the world to come. Amen. Well, let us pray. Father, we thank you and give great praise to you that you, through Christ, give us endurance. And Father, we pray that out of a heartfelt love for you and a resting in Christ, you would give us this same endurance. Give us a heart to obey you, whatever comes our way. We pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.